everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson here with you. I am traveling today, so I can't do a live cast, but I'm gonna do this pre-recorded intro. We're gonna be going through a piece called the adjustment reactions, really important. Now, let me look at my phone here real quick. Yeah, the Dow is down another 700 points as I'm recording this here on Thursday, about, I don't know, 12 o'clock local time here. Down in Belize, I'm at this incredible investment conference right here. We've got Danielle DiMartino Booth here. We've got George Gammon. We've got some incredible people here. And the consensus is, among everybody who looks at all the big data, is that we're coming into a pretty intense recession. So what does that mean? Well, you know, recessions, they kind of painful. And uh, a lot of people are going to have to make some new decisions. People could lose jobs. Things happen during recessions. This one is going to probably be ridiculously bad because the Federal Reserve in their infinite lack of wisdom managed to go out there and do things they shouldn't have done which was pour trillions of dollars in create enormous bubbles housing bubbles bond bubbles stock bubbles very painful when even one bubble bursts ultra painful when several of them go at once inflation out of control right now by their standards by my standards maybe by your standards which means the Fed's gonna have to go farther and deeper than most people are prepared for just yesterday the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by 75 basis points, that's three quarters of a percent, and that is uh, historically an unusually large amount, and an unusually large amount at a time when there's a lot of leverage, a lot of debt in the system. Okay, what does all that mean? It means you have to be ready, we all have to be ready for a big drawdown. The consensus is that, well, maybe if this is a time to have dry powder, make sure that you have cash saved up because there are probably better prices for things coming in the future. Guess what? None of that matters. None of that's useful unless you are prepared, mentally prepared, to take advantage of those situations when they arise. So nothing harder in investing than selling when there's greed in the air, nothing harder than buying when there's blood in the streets. Those are really hard things to do and those are psychological conditions. How do you get around that? Here's where we have to talk about adjustment reactions. I wanna bring forward this piece of work that I did, just the central fragment of it that I did back in March of 2020, because the adjustment reaction is a psychological process that determines how quickly somebody is or is not going to adjust to a change in circumstances. So during a crisis, this is very well studied. Some people respond very well, very rapidly. Some people react very poorly, very slowly. In either case, it doesn't make people better or worse, it's just part of the human experience. Some of us are fast adjusters, some of us are slow adjusters. Nothing wrong with either, you need both, you need all types. However, in a time of crisis, if you understand the adjustment reaction, A, you'll know yourself better, B, you'll know other people better, C, you'll know if you're a fast or a slow adjuster, whether you're gonna be in a position to help other people during crises or you're going to need to ask for help from people during crises. Again, to both sides are totally fine, doesn't matter. I'm not here to try and guide people into becoming fast adjusters, but if you are not a fast adjuster, you should know that about yourself and find someone who is because they can help you navigate these times that are coming up a little bit better. Our community needs all different kinds of people. So today I'm bringing you back the adjustment reactions. I want to talk about this. We're going to talk about this back at my website in more detail as well. That's peakprosperity.com. If you're not a member there yet, wow, you're missing out on what I think is an incredible value proposition. We give away so much for the money we charge and uh, it's just a wonderful community of people. So 
I'm your information scout. I'm out here every day trying to find out the information that we all need to make the decisions that are required to be resilient in these coming times. So check this out. And if you haven't, make sure that you're a member at Peak Prosperity. If you want to follow this kind of information, you want to follow me, you want to follow the kinds of people who are attracted to this message, which by the way, they're people just like you. We're the curious, we're the remnant, we're the people who are actually going to be tasked with picking up the pieces when these things continue to devolve a little bit. So that's the world we live in. Thanks so much for listening to this. Check out this presentation on adjustment reactions. I think you're going to love it. I will see you next week back live in the studio. All right. Enjoy and see you next time. All right. So um, I want to turn now to something that's really important. And uh, this is something I've been wanting to share for a while. And uh, Penny and Chris both got to the heart of this. Penny asking, uh, so thankful for your wisdom, communications. Can you address the phenomenon of anger towards those of us who are trying to prepare? I have lost close friends over COVID-19, not from the virus, but because they are angry, angry at the virus and angry at me for staying informed. It's sad. Totally get where you're coming from, Penny. And lots of people have experienced that, especially people who are on here now listening to this. Uh, Chris says, I got grilled by my family weeks ago for buying N95 mask, water, toilet paper, rice, beans, etc. They finally said sorry for getting mad at me today. So what's happening here? What's happening is something called the adjustment reaction. And this is an incredible piece of writing here by Peter Sandman. I got it from this link down here. And of course, these links again will be available below. Um, this, I'm going to read, I'm going to, we're going to go through this whole article. It's just that good. And, uh, it relates very closely to something that I wrote back in 2008. Uh, but this is better. So I want to go through this cause it's just, it's just a better uh, version of what I was trying to say. Adjustment reactions, the teachable moment in crisis communication. Mm, hard to get a sense of it from there, but trust me, this is worth it. This is really good. When someone first learns about a new and potentially serious risk, the natural, healthy, and useful reaction is, in a sense, an overreaction. Ah, this is really important because what he's talking about here is that the adjustment reaction is just a human thing. It's expected. It's ordinary. It's usual. It shouldn't be minimized. And everybody's going to have it, including you, including me. All right? But we have it to different degrees. So let's go through this. Um. So you learn about a new potentially serious risk. You pause. While you wait to see what's going to happen, you may stop doing things that suddenly feel dangerous. After 9-11, some people quit flying for a while or stayed away from skyscrapers. During the anthrax attacks, some people hesitated to open their mail. When a U.S. cow was discovered with mad cow disease, some people briefly avoided hamburgers. Afterwards, you know, people might laugh at you and say, oh, ha, 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 why did you quit flying? You know, or, you know, you were afraid of hamburgers. But it actually, this is a very normal reaction. Uh, if your ancestors didn't do this, you wouldn't be here today. Um, what is wired into us around risks? And every animal, if you go outside, has lots of risks. If you watch birds at the bird feeder, they're constantly on alert. Um, we just have maybe gotten a little disconnected from all the things that could be risks. But trust me, having a healthy fear avoidance and, and a tuned uh, sense of risk is a survival tool. And it's built into us for a good reason. Evolution had a plan. All right. You become hypervigilant. You watch TV news more than you used to or check Google News every few hours. You may scrutinize suspicious-looking people in nearby cars, restaurant booths, and airplane seats. 
or if somebody's coughing now, oh my God, it's practically like they pulled a gun out and fired around into the ground um, for me. I bet you're feeling that way too, right? You wonder what that white powder might be and consider whether you should notify the authorities, referring back to the anthrax attacks. You personalize the risk. You imagine what it would be like if it were you. If a risk that is already hurting others and may be coming your way were actually here now, you might even imagine that it is actually here now. So you take extra precautions, precautions that are probably unnecessary or at least premature. You go out for Mexican food instead of Chinese food if you're worried about SARS or Chinese food instead of Mexican food if you're worried about hepatitis, right? So these things uh, often get laughed at and they're called um, overreactions by uh, people who, who didn't allow themselves to have the reactions in the first place. But in fact, this is the normal, natural way that we're wired. And people who are denying themselves these reactions are actually truncating, uh, suppressing their adjustment reactions. <clears throat> so what is this adjustment reaction? Well, <clears throat> let's start here. Um, these responses are signs of what psychiatrists call an adjustment reaction. They're part of the process of adjusting to new risk, a normal, healthy part. Um, here are the key characteristics of the adjustment reaction to crisis. First, it's automatic, okay? That is, it's not entirely under your conscious control. Critics may seize on this characteristic, ridiculing the adjustment reaction as knee-jerk, but notice, please, that knee-jerk reactions are sometimes preferable to conscious ones in crisis situations because they're quicker. When your doctor checks your reflexes during a medical exam, the doctor is hoping they're working, knee-jerk and all. It is healthy to pull back automatically after touching a hot stove or almost falling into a hole. You don't want to have to think about that first. So it's just automatic. And there are people who do this more automatically. There are people who are faster at it and people who have slower reflexes, right? And that's normal too. Uh, some people can jump higher. Uh, some people can do uh, math faster in their head. But uh, the adjustment reaction is a very ordinary, normal process. It's automatic. Two, it comes early. We may be in the early moments of a crisis that hasn't gotten big or gotten here. We may be experiencing a precursor event, a potential crisis that either will or will not turn into an actual crisis this time. Obviously, it may be a false alarm or the real thing. And that's when it's most useful to adjust. A newspaper headline that fear is spreading faster than SARS missed the point. The last thing we want is a crisis that spreads faster than people's concern about it. That's happening right now. This virus is moving much faster than people's concern about it, uh, almost in order of magnitude faster. It is a survival trait to take a risk seriously before it engulfs you, right? Uh, all the water disappears from the beach. You don't want to be that person wandering out, picking up all those clams and fish flopping around out there, right? That There's a tsunami coming. Um, the last thing we want is a crisis that spreads faster than people's concern about it. So a good, healthy adjustment reaction comes early. Number three, it's temporary. The adjustment reaction is a temporary phenomenon that eases the transition to whatever is next. Very important. It eases the transition because this is what's really happening right now is we all have to transition from the world that we used to know. We're having this huge disruption and there's a new world in front of us, what, whatever that is. So we need to transition to that. And you don't just do it automatically, you know, right away. There's a process. So the adjustment reaction, it's a phenomenon. It's temporary, and it eases that transition to whatever is next. Very few people get stuck in a long-term overreaction. 
Those who do are said by psychiatrists to have an adjustment disorder and may need clinical help. The rest of us overreact, but only briefly. Then the threat passes and we stop taking precautions or we settle into the new normal, a longer-term state of preparedness. Or the growing crisis makes our early reaction completely appropriate. Added the word completely there. All right, uh, number four, it is a small overreaction. A lot of you are going to resonate with this one, I'm sure. The adjustment reaction is excessive mostly because it's technically premature, not because it's disproportionate. So I'll tell you about uh, my technically premature uh, thing was uh, at Costco four or five weeks ago, right? With my shopping cart loaded up with stuff. I got some stairs. People are like, oh my God, what, you know, this, what's this guy doing, you know? Um, and it looked premature and it looked like an overreaction, but it wasn't. If I could have, you know, if, if, looking back, knowing what I know now, I would have filled up eight of those carts because I now know people who failed to do this. And I, I prepped for some of them, but I didn't, I it, I was totally, uh, I did not do it nearly as much as I would have knowing what I know now, all right? Um, so it wasn't disproportionate. It was just premature in that sense, right? Um, if and when the actual crisis arrives, this level of reaction and more may well become standard and even mandatory. Bingo. That's where we are right now. If the adjustment reaction is way out of proportion, not just to what is happening so far, but to also what could happen, it's an adjustment disorder. So there's a range of reactions in here. How do you know how much is too much? That's why you got to go with the data. That's why we've been putting out this data clearly and consistently and just showing the exponential growth and explosion of this thing because this thing says you can't move too fast. As fast as you can possibly move, if you're lucky, you're going to stay in front of this thing. Um, but the people around you probably won't. But it may be a little out of proportion. When you pull back from accidentally touching a hot stove, your reflex moves briefly moves you farther from the stove than is actually needed to avoid getting burnt. All right. But the adjustment reaction bar four, this is a small overreaction. Uh, it may need guidance. Adjustment reactions shouldn't be disproportionate, but that doesn't mean that they are necessarily well-informed and well-chosen. People who decide to wear a mask because of a SARS outbreak or a chemical release not only tend to put it on sooner than they need it, they may also be wearing the wrong mask or wearing it incorrectly. These people, they may need guidance on how best to act on their fear on which precautions are wisest. So, of course, we all need guidance on this. This is why I completely deplore the terrible misinformation, cross-communication, differing pieces of advice out there that health authorities are putting out because it's wildly inconsistent. Probably the worst of them would be uh, masks are more harmful than helpful for the average person. Bunk. That is complete bullshit. All right. This is a really important one here, too. These are all important, but I keep saying that. This one's important, too. It serves as a rehearsal. The adjustment reaction is an emotional rehearsal, getting you psychologically ready to cope if you have to. It is also a logistical rehearsal. It show, it's how you start figuring out what to do and how to do it. The value of rehearsing, emotionally and logistically, explains why premature isn't such a devastating criticism. You can't rehearse after the show starts. People who've gone through a successful adjustment reaction are better prepared to cope with the crisis when it comes. So if the military wants to go into, say, Fallujah, what they do is they go out and they mock up that town and its, and its exact streets as best they can out in the desert in Arizona, and they take their people through and they train, and not one person in a thousand would say, oh, that's stupid, because we get it. We're like, oh, yeah, you, you train. 
pilots go into flight simulators, right? We expect, require, and demand our professionals to have levels of training, particularly the more complex something is, the more we'd expect them to train. We want surgeons to go through residencies and training, and we want them to practice on grapes before eyeballs and all that stuff, right? But somehow, when it comes to individuals needing to think about how I'm going to have this extraordinary disruption in my life where I may be quarantined for four to six weeks inside my home, that's an extraordinary disruption. How in any way, shape, or form is it not completely healthy, normal, and perfectly uh, defensible for somebody to want to rehearse that? And it's the emotional rehearsal that's really going to be important. And this is where I think, you know, given the odds, given the number of people listening to this, some of us here, maybe myself, we're going to experience direct loss based on this. Um, Loss of loved ones, loss of people we know potentially on on a life basis, uh, loss of jobs loss of opportunities, loss of all kinds of things are going to happen. And those losses are emotional for us. They're not uh, uh, just a technical thing, right? So this adjustment reaction for people who've been listening to this, who gave themselves six weeks to begin preparing, oh, there's a train, who gave themselves six weeks to prepare for this, have given themselves an important, important strip of runway to begin to get their plane off the ground that other people are going to um, have to try and adjust all at once. And that's where the actual harm comes in. That's what they call it, oh, we want to avoid panic. But but really what authorities are doing when they say that is they're denying people a lengthy adjustment process and they're going to force them into a really panicked, harsh, nasty adjustment process. Probably no different than having the blanket ripped off from a deep sleep and cold water thrown on you, right? It's just there's two ways to wake up. That's not the right way. All right. Finally, number seven is it reduces the probability of later overreaction, also important here. This is the most paradoxical payoff. Because they have rehearsed, because they are better prepared and feel better prepared, people who've gone through a successful adjustment reaction are less likely to overreact to an actual crisis that follows. In this sense, an adjustment reaction functions a little like an inoculation. Just as important. People who have gone through a successful adjustment reaction tend to notice more quickly and recover more quickly when the crisis is over or when a threatened crisis has failed to materialize. So this whole thing is a really important uh, process that people need to go through. Um, All right. Oh, that's the next one. So uh, I loved how, how, again, Peter Sandman, this link, I've got it on the bottom of every one of these. Please go. He's got other really wonderful material there about uh, this virus in particular, about crises in general. It's just a very, very wonderful uh, collection of material there. This is the teachable moment. Instead of criticizing or ridiculing people's adjustment reactions to emerging crises, smart crisis communicators encourage the adjustment reactions, legitimize them, ally with them and guide them. So every this is this informs why and I brought this to my subscribers. These are the kinds of conversations by the way. If you find this intriguing and you like knowing stuff like this, this is the kind of information I hunt up for the subscribers at Peak Prosperity and these are the kinds of conversations we have cuz I think this is the this is the stuff that makes us more mature, a little bit smarter and a little bit more well prepared as having the mental framing as well as the appropriate body reactions aligning those two pieces so that we can really move through life uh, as, as, as best we can. Um, this is why I was criticizing so strongly uh, a lot of what I saw as the official reactions out there because they were absolutely working against this principle, and this is just a very easy-to-understand human 
sort of a principle. So if you think your government, your health authorities are acting in ways that feel anti-human, that feel um, sadistic, that feel um, against common sense, it's because they're operating in a way that's trying to deny this um, push it underground. And you know how it is when you try and deny a, a very human thing. It's like squeezing jelly in your fist. And it just comes out in all sorts of awkward ways, you know, squeezing between the fingers. So you can't suppress normal human stuff. And trying to do it actually makes it worse, not better. And that should be crisis management 101. I would expect all my crisis managers to get that. All right, but they don't. Okay. So, and it's okay to tell people they're jumping the gun a little, that there's still time and you advise them to hold off in particular preparations until the risk gets closer, bigger, or clearer. It's okay to recommend substitute precautions, precautions that are more useful or less burdensome or less likely to backfire than the ones they're attracted to. And it's okay to remind them that nobody knows yet whether the situation will worsen or blow over, that they should try to stay poised to ramp up or ramp down their level of concern. That's all part of guiding the adjustment reaction. Um, what isn't okay is to suggest that people shouldn't be worried yet, that they shouldn't take any precautions or even think about what precautions they want to take until you give the word. It isn't okay to tell people that their normal and useful impulse to rehearse is irrational or panicky. Healthy people are going to rehearse. They are going to imagine the worst before it happens and before we know for sure it's coming. They are going to take premature precautions. An adjustment reaction is a big improvement over being caught unawares. Don't try to tell people not to have one. Help them have a good one. Absolutely. Claps for that. All right. Uh, if you find yourself around people who are trying to prevent you from having an adjustment reaction, saying that their version of not having an adjustment reaction is the healthy one and mocking you for having a healthy one, uh, you need to not be around those people. Because remember, when you need to move fast... You don't want, you can't have slow people on your team, right? And it's not that these are bad people, and I'm not at all saying that people who have slow adjustment processes are in any way defective or inferior or not worthy of our time, love, all of that. It's just you got to recognize some people are fast adjusters and some aren't. And when a fast adjustment process is called for, you need to have those people on your team. And if you haven't got any of those people around you, well, then you're a team of one, right? Um, you know, as they say in the old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So you're the early adjust adjusters. Adjust as quickly as you can. The other people will catch up, but they're somewhere else on that emotional uh, process chain, and they haven't quite got there yet. So again, just to recap, the adjustment reaction seven steps. It's automatic. It comes early. It's temporary. It's a small overreaction. May need some guidance. Serves as a dress rehearsal. And it reduces the probability of a later overreaction. Super important. Um, back in 2008, in October, I wrote the six stages of awareness, wrapping this around Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, which was I was talking about the economic crisis I saw coming at that time. And uh, I only inserted one extra step in here. So uh, denial, anger, bargaining, fear, depression, acceptance. It's a very ordinary sort of a, a, a chain of emotional processes people come to. And uh, it's something you should expect because people coming to new information, especially belief-challenging information, is not a data-driven process. It's an emotional process. Um, and so people's belief systems are rooted in through the limbic system into their bodies, and those are need to be unhooked very carefully. And so uh, just be aware of this. So denial, what would that look like? It's just the flu, bro. 
These people are still in denial. They're, they're still out there. It's amazing. Uh, the data is so overwhelming. You're like, how can you be there still? It's because uh, they're in very active denial because they're defending a belief system that they're not ready to let go of yet. It has nothing to do with the data. And then uh, you might come out of denial into anger. You know, dude, I said it's a flu. Stop telling me about this. You know, they're getting angry with you. We saw that um, in these uh, early things where, uh, where, yeah, back up here where Penny and Chris were saying, you know, um, people were getting mad at them. They're getting angry. Why are they getting angry? Because uh, these people are probably, sorry, uh, at stage two. They're at stage two out of the six stages of awareness. They're at the anger stage because they're they're now they're they're they've just been woken up in an unpleasant way. They're not happy with that. Next comes bargaining. Uh, hey, I'm taking a little extra vitamin C. This is all going to be fine if I just you know uh, you know shop once a week instead of twice. Whatever those mental bargaining things are to uh, help them feel better about it. Once they realize the bargaining isn't working, um, fear or anxiety comes forward next. And then you, you might hear people worry about, oh, my God, everything's going to collapse. i got to get toilet paper right now. This is where the panicky start comes in. And, of course, the officials who prevent us from having a normal, healthy adjustment reaction until it finally bursts find that people skip right into fear usually. And they're right. That's not a – they're right. Going straight to panic is a very bad way to do this. You shouldn't do it that way. That's a bad way to do it. Okay. Um Depression comes next. Uh, you know, my statements might be there's no hope. There's no point. We're all going to get it anyway. I think the UK uh, prime minister was basically at depression and hadn't processed it appropriately. Well, let's just let it move through. This is good. What are you going to do? We can't. There's nothing we can do anyway. Let's just let it burn through. Right. Completely irresponsible thing to say. And finally, you get to acceptance and you say, well, it is what it is. You know, hey, it, it, this is the time I happen to be alive. This is what's happening. So let's do our best. Let's help each other. This is what that would look like. It's a very ordinary, normal process. As I wrote this all the way back in 2008, um, I would update it a little bit. I think this stands the test of time, being it's uh, 12 years ago now. So what I wrote then was, uh, working through these stages, it's not a one-way trip. So you don't just go, and done, I'm in acceptance, we're all good, right? I myself cycle through stages four and six, fear and acceptance, pretty routinely, but spend less and less time with number four with every pass. And, and the model for that is, you know, if I go and I, I first time I'm exposed to like the coronavirus, you know, a lot of fearful response. And then uh, I think I've got all myself all well prepared. And then, oh, no, what, what what's happening in South Korea? Um, OK, all right, I prepared. I feel pretty good. Uh Oh, Italy doesn't look so good, you know. And so I'm just parts that it's getting smaller every time the amplitude is uh, going down every time. Um, and what I want, what I hope you take away from this, which is a big piece of writing um, around this, which you can find at this link right here, uh, I invite you to read the whole article, is uh, that wherever you happen to be in these six stages will almost certainly shift over time. So it's not, again, it's temporary, right? If you are uncomfortable with where you are in this process, know that it's temporary. My audacious, gigantic goal is to enable you to move through each of the six stages faster and more smoothly than I did. And that's really my goal, and it should be your goal working with other people, is to help them move through the stages. Um, lastly, please remember that everybody is somewhere along this curve. My experience is that the people who are further along tend to catch grief from the people who are not. All right. Um, that's that's uh, uh, how this tends to work. Our advice uh, that we've been handing out in seminars for years uh, on communicating with reluctant partners, spouses, coworkers, friends, um, things like that, people who are not quite ready to be there yet, is you process your own adjustment reaction first and uh, you get that out of the way because 
you need to approach people without an emotional agenda, meaning, oh, I'm so angry. Oh, I'm, I'm so fearful. I need you to join me in that anger or fear. People, I do this. Everybody does this. We resist when somebody wants us to join their emotional state. Like, no, thanks. Not, not buying that today, right? So the advice is to be as emotionally neutral as you can be, which is why you got to process your own stuff first. Watch out for signs that they aren't ready yet and back off the second they say so. And this could be subtle, right? Um, they might say things that are basically saying, ah, no, I'm not ready for that, right? Oh, yeah. Um, geez, what do you think about the NBA canceling their stuff, right? Just change the subject. Just move on. No matter what, no matter how well you present this, no matter how genius you are communicating, you might not be that person's trusted source. And this could be your own sister or brother doesn't listen to you, your own parents. This could be people that you otherwise love. It could be your husband or wife. You might not be that person's trusted source. They may need to hear it from somebody in their friend circle, from somebody on TV. You don't know. But if you can know who their trusted source is, that's a, a be on the be curious, be on the lookout for that. Because if you can find their trusted source and then find their trusted source saying what you want them to hear, feed that to them instead of trying to be the person that conveys it. All right. And be patient. You know, you plant seeds if that's all you can do, you know. You might say, wow, I, I think this could be 10 times worse in, in, uh, in two weeks plant it, right? And then when it is 10 times worse in two weeks, they will come back to you and say, you know, okay, what was that thing you said? That was kind of weird how, how accurate that was. But be ready for when they come back, all right? And don't gloat. Don't fish for apologies. Don't expect them. Don't need them. Um, that's going to be, that might be something you want or need, but that's not going to help their adjustment process. So just be be generous. All right. Um, we also had a, a really great uh, podcast recently with Peter Bogosian uh, called How to Have Impossible Conversations, and that's the title of his book on this. It's a really great book. I invite you to listen to this podcast, get the book as well, because it's it goes really into more of the science behind how to have impossible conversations and why people, um, uh, how it is exactly that people formulate and shift beliefs. It's not, it's not data. It's not opinions, it's beliefs. Uh, this is from the transcript of that particular interview. Uh, Peter said, people do not formulate their beliefs on the basis of evidence. They think they do. But instead, they cherry pick pieces of information or pieces of data to support the beliefs they already have. The key thing to understand is that people formulate their beliefs because of some moral impulse derived from a community to which they belong. They have a strong moral sense of why they ought to believe something. So arguing with the evidence doesn't work, triggers something called the backfire effect. It's well established in the literature where people just hunker down or double down on their beliefs. Great interview. I invite you to go check that out. 